finding new ways. Life happens with Pimelo Mutine. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. On SAFM. Well, good afternoon. It is Wednesday, the 28th of April, and uh, all eyes are at the State Capture Commission. As we know that the president is uh, stay uh, is today giving his um, uh, testimony at the at the commission. What we'll do? They've gone on a break now. Um, they've gone on a lunch break. They'll be back at two. We will definitely take you right there uh, as soon as they return. So what we've done is that we're going to open the lines. I know you want to have your say, and we've been seeing that coming through on our WhatsApp notes. Um, Already. So we definitely will go there. I'll give you an opportunity to give us your take on what you've heard already. 011-714-2006 as well as WhatsApp notes can be sent on 0614-104-107. I wanted to quickly unpack what we've heard already from uh, an analyst. Sanusha Naidu, you're familiar with her. She's a political analyst with the Institute of Global Dialogue. She's agreed so very kindly to join us this afternoon. Good afternoon, Sanusha. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for, for being with us. Uh, good afternoon to you, your listeners, and thank you for the opportunity. Always Let, great to be on SAFM. Fantastic. Let, let's go straight into it, Sanusha. Um, your overall take on number one, the statement which we are unpacking as as we're going along at the at the state capture. But your overall take on on that statement granted by uh, by the by the by the president? Yeah, I think it was a statement that he needed to unpack in a way that he needed to. Uh, point out, you know, the various issues that uh, have been circling in terms of the issue, uh, in terms of the the kinds of uh, of questions that would uh, he would have to face. Mm-hmm. So the context in which that statement has been made is that he's unpacked that he's actually uh, given more, I-, I would say, clarity on those issues. Also, in a way, he's been trying to explain uh, the relevance. Of, for instance, if you take the whole question of the deployment strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's trying to say that if it's done in a, in a way that's, that's amicable, equitable, and fair, it can be a, a, a policy that can be implemented in a, in a, in a way that, that deals with the capacity, professionalization, et cetera, that is needed in the state. But I think also what he's trying to do is he's trying to say that the party did not necessarily just completely ignore these issues. There were, severe, there were, there, there were, there were critical debates. There were basically in-depth discussions in the party around these issues that are, that, that basically have uh, come to the fore in the Zondo Commission around state capture, irregular tenders, uh, questions of just complete greed uh, that has befallen the state. And to a large extent, he's trying to say in that, in that unpacking, in that statement, he's trying to basically lay out mm-hmm. the context that the party has been seized with these issues. It has been deliberating over these issues and it, and it has been trying to address these issues. I think where it's going to become much more um, critical for him is when the Q&A starts and when mm. he has to now start mapping out what he knew. Did he know, uh, did he have full knowledge of what was happening? Did he have any recourse that he could have actually uh, intervened? Um, and did he, did he have the ability to, to, to address these issues in a manner where he could pull it back and say, hang on, this is not just on, you know, this is something that's seriously affecting the, the, the reputation, not just of the party, but it's actually bringing the whole state into disrepute. So I think these are the points that we'll try and see over, over the next couple of hours and into, into tomorrow. But I also have to just, you know, put it out there as a preface that I think two days for the president to come and talk about such a massive mm, mm. is going to be too little. Yep. So I'm not sure if when he comes back in, in, mm. in, in May, 
to discuss uh, when he plays with the, when he puts his other hat on mm. as the, uh, the state president. I'm not sure whether we'll see a little bit more in terms of unpacking what he's talking about today. Mm. I fully agree with you. I mean, I was just actually having that conversation with my colleagues who say there is so much that needs to be unpacked with some of the the the, 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 the you know paragraphs of of the statement that we I don't know if we'll get to. And and let me just go to the one point, for instance, that we started with cater deployment. Um, he sounds to me like this is someone who from a policy point of view is actually affirming their position of yeah. cater deployment and in fact there was uh, a bit of a banter there about what Barbara Hogan had uh, mentioned on uh, around cater deployment and he's, he seems quite firm on that saying well in fact now more than ever we, we stand by this policy yeah I mean it, 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 it came across the tone came across as a defense mm, right? yep, yep. And, and, and the tone was really around the idea that you know, he's also got to be very careful because mm. he can't continue. He can't go on a on a tangent in this in this in, in this commission. He can't go and <laughs> go go to the commission and present himself before the commission and completely batch the policies yes. that uh, that exist in the party. Sure. Uh, having said that, he was also you know a senior member of that commission. Mm. In fact, I think he led it. He oversaw mm. the process uh, or the commission and uh, on on cadre deployment. So I think, you know, he, he has to measure himself in terms of defending ANC policy, mm. which is what has been uh, the ANC's front, uh, uh, front line strategies around uh, cater deployment, around the fact that, uh, you know, you don't let things get out of hand where now it's become so out of hand that they are being discussed outside of the party. Everything had to be discussed inside the party. Mm. Everything had to be resolved inside the party. And mm. now we're beginning to see how much of that has actually you know, befallen the party in terms of its integrity, its credibility, its legitimacy, and, and the fact that it's in complete uh, disarray. And it's, you know, it, it, I, I think I've lost adjectives now to yeah, describe yeah. the fragmentation of the party. We- so I think to a large extent, it's, him also trying to hold it together because when he goes back to the party, <laughs> he's going to also have to face uh, mm. the, the criticisms. He mm. has to face people who are going to say, you went out there and you basically dissed us. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting how he can hold the same position now as president and his responsibility to us, the public, um, the mm. entire South African population, um, because it's going to be quite tricky. The one point that I thought was interesting speaking to you about greed now is is where the statement said something around the, the, the issues of declaration of funds and yeah. And he 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 backtrack a little bit from his own statement, saying no 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 no. In actual fact, that's not doable. Yeah, I mean he he kind of intimate or he he veered himself mm-hmm. that way towards the idea that these things were critical points of of of, of discussion mm-hmm. and query mm-hmm. and inter and and, and uh, you know uh, concern in the party. And so this is why you also had um, the. The formation and the uh, and and the and the uh, signing into law, this whole thing about political party funding. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that's one avenue. But declaring where your 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 personal income comes from, or mm. where you're getting your 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 personal funds from, is another issue. And that declaration is critical because we must remember that people who give, who pay you. I mean, there's a fascinating term which I think all of us remember: the pipe pipe of of of. Um, <laughs> Of whatever, but whoever pays the piper mm-hmm. calls the tune. Mm-hmm. And so, at the end of the day, you've got to remember there are benefactors behind the scenes who will ex- have expectations of you, who will basically say, 
we need you to play and 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 push certain policy in a, in a particular way. It's not exceptional to South Africa. It happens the world over. But I think also what is important for him to be very clear about yeah. is that. He's also got to worry about the fact that he's also under a microscope yeah. regarding the CR17 funds yes. for the for the for the election uh, for the the Nasdaq uh, elected conference, and so he has to also navigate that very carefully because at the end of the day, uh, we have to ask ourselves: is, is this democracy now about who buys? particular people in a party. His posture, Sanusha, says to me that he, he he really, really is convinced that they've got enough mechanisms in place and it seems to me like he's defending it. They've got enough mechanisms in place to check some of the, the, the policies that they have, you know, cater deployments and, and so on. It's going to be interesting to see when we grind into the detail if that position shifts. Yeah. No, no, no. He's very confident. I think he needed to come in there not with slouching, uh, slouching shoulders or slumping shoulders. Yeah. He needed to come in there very confidently, putting into effect that this is what we have. I firmly believe that these are strong instruments that we have in place uh, and that these instruments are going to work. So he's, he's, he's coming in as somebody who's not going to be beaten by the commission, but he's going to basically present himself and present the party in the best possible way as a confident institution. And I think that's, that's going to be critical. But I think when the questions start, you know, we're beginning to see uh, Judge Rondo asking clarifications, mm-hmm. creating a roadmap. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where the roadmap becomes very, very murky for President Ramaphosa because then it starts to put the dots together. Yeah, it starts yeah. putting the puzzle pieces into Okay. So, Sanisha, what do you make of the fact that when you bring up a name like uh, Barbara Hogan, who understands the working ends of the party, who themselves yeah. are criticizing certain details, and he continues to defend that, you know, this is not somebody who's from the outside like you and I. This is somebody who internally understands fundamentally how they work and says, I'm not sure about our mechanisms. And, and you still find the president saying, well, in fact, they are enough, more than enough. What, what do you make yeah. of that? I, I think she's, I mean, she's been a very vocal critic of these mechanisms. Yes, yeah. And she's been one of those individuals that uh, I think in, in the first cohort of exposing what is happening in state capture with the SOEs. And, and of course, she gave her evidence. And it seems as if she'd given her evidence quite a while ago now. Yes, no, and, it was um, But it's somebody who's also uh, very, very, very important in terms of her link to Ahmed Katada. Mm-hmm. And you've got the Katrada Foundation that has been very vocal uh, in terms of pushing against this, these anti uh, pushing anti corruption strategies, interventions. I mean, the 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 the, the, the executive director of, of of the Ahmed Katrada Foundation is a vocal individual, mm-hmm. actionable, lo- constantly putting out uh, advocacy, lobby, protests, uh, mm-hmm. making these, these these public calls. And she now is a very important person in that context. Mm. So Ahmed Katrada, coming from that kind of tradition of the Mandela years and you know, having that kind of, of, of stalwart identity and credibility, I think, again, is important for, for civil society. Mm. But it's also important for, he, for President Ramaphosa to, 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 to say that you know, he can't, as I mentioned earlier, he cannot come to this commission and say, you know what, the, the, the instruments we have don't work. <laughs> it's all there, just very nice and pretty, and we all theoretically love them to bits. But in practice, they don't work because they, they, they basically haven't succeeded. He can't do that because he's yeah. letting down his, himself. And I think it's also a challenge for him because 
This is not the ANC he was negotiating on behalf of in, 19, in 1990. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is a different political angle. It's interesting, Sanisha, that when you see, I mean, just during the break, the cameras are still there. The show of force by, by senior ANC members was, was quite an interesting one for me. Yeah. No, I think the top six have to be there, yeah. with the exception of Ace Magashwile, yes. for obvious reasons. Yes. I think more senior members, we saw uh, Jeff Hadebe, we yes. saw uh, Minister for Women's Settlements there. Yeah. Um, I mean, she and, and Ramaphosa, I'm not sure if they have the best relationship at times, mm. but uh, I mean, at, in, at the end of the day, uh, it's a solidarity, mm-hmm. and it has to be shown mm. that this is a party that is the oldest political institution in the continent mm-hmm. uh, that is going through some serious crises uh, that has befallen other political parties mm-hmm. in the continent, from turn liberation movement to political party. And so this is a, this is a show of solidarity. And if you're not going to come out there and show solidarity to the op- opposing factions like your RET and, of course, mm-hmm. uh, the MK uh, factions, etc., then you're going to basically try and you're going to feed into the whole process mm. that this party has lost. Mm. I know you've got to go. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I hope we'll speak again soon. Thank you very much for your time, Sunusha. Uh, Sunusha mm. Naidi is a political analyst with the Institute of Global Dialogue. I see your calls. I'll be back with Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Good afternoon to you, Pimelo. If there is a so-called state capture at all in this country, then Cyril Ramaphosa must have been at the forefront of it. Reason being, he was the second in command and he was also the head of the business of the country. So each and every positions that were held in the SOEs, he must have known in one way or another because he was right there at the top. So all we hear now is just him ducking and diving and not hitting the snake where it hurts the most. So it goes to show that the media itself has really painted some people as more corrupt than others. And whilst corruption is corruption, period. Pirin Alex, yeah, thank you. All right, as I said, I'll take more of your calls. We'll continue to do that on 011-714-2006. Keep sending those voice notes as well on 0614-104-107. Uh, thank you so much for your patience. You're calling from Peter Meritzburg. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for calling, Sabelo. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, well, I think uh, first, of, first and foremost, I've been listening to... Sanusha uh, Naidu. I've been listening... No, no to other political parties mm-hmm. even before the uh, political analysts mm-hmm. uh, that they were condemning uh, the cadre deployment which is the gist issue in this uh, in this whole issue of the capture and corruption that is taking place but i i think we must commend the manner in which the president has has, has explained the matter because uh, people like uh, the the the, the leader of the GA senators they they don't even understand that the cadre de- uh, deployment and development is not just a issue of taking someone with a mere metric and putting on the senior position, but there are processes that are followed. So in terms of the president uh, starting from there and explaining the processes, it may give also clarity to confused political parties to say there are merits that are considered when you deploy a cadre. People have been perceiving this as if uh, you take a grade 12 
to a director a post. It's not like that. And the president, when he explained, it gives us that clarity to say many official, uh, uh, many uh, uh, the, the opposition uh, parties are, are, are misunderstanding and they are missing the point of deploying because there's nothing wrong with deploying, but it goes with merit and skills. And also, it must also challenge them to say, the right of stand uh, uh, is in their, they are deployed uh, in, in, their, in their party, but they have metrics having got to uh, uh, challenge people who have degrees. We have seen at least a door of universities. So that also gives them a challenge to say they must go also and review their uh, uh, deployment on how do they, they deploy. Is it based on color or is it based on merit also? Mm. Let me introduce another political analyst. Uh, this is an independent political analyst, Matlala Sitlaluhili, who, who is joining us as well on the line, having been listening to the commissioning earlier on today. Matlala, thank you so much for your time. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Timela. Afternoon. So far, what is your take on what you've heard? Uh, so far, I think uh, it's quite clear that... Uh, the president of the ANC, Cyril Ramaphosa, acknowledges the importance of cater deployment policy. Mm-hmm. But he also acknowledges the limitations in implementing the very policy. Look, I think it is very important to scrutinize the processes and the practices within that very policy. Uh, he quoted an OECD study, I think it's from 2007, indicating the relevance of political intervention in appointing senior managers in government. Look, it's a well-established trend across the globe, especially in developing countries that still have developmental aspirations to be involved in the selection and ultimate appointment of people that are aligned to the party ideologically, uh, such as the case with the ANC. It's very important, and I, I, would, I would mention the importance of such a policy. Remember that any governing party would want its policies to be trans, uh, translated into official government policies. Now, when you have senior officials that do not understand the crux of the very policies of that governing party, uh, they might end up you know, devising irrelevant policy instruments or mechanisms to implement that very policies. It's one thing to understand the policy, on paper, then it's another thing to understand the intention behind the policy and desired outcomes of those uh, very policies. So the ANC in introducing cater development, it's not necessarily a bad idea, especially when they aspire to be a developmental state. The issue here is how that policy is implemented. It's been open to abuse and it has not been well implemented across. But one thing again, the implementation of the cater deployment policy creates challenges. I had the Deputy Chief Justice Zondo asking the president that, look, don't you think by already recommending people, you are inadvertently influencing the outcomes of this election process? It's a very valid point. But uh, Cyril Ramaphosa counted that act, uh, rather the question earlier, in fact, before even the question was asked in his opening remarks. He did highlight the importance of creating a regulatory architecture to deal with such, you know, political intervention in appointing senior government officials. Ultimately, I believe it's very important, especially 
in a society like South Africa where we still aspire to achieve developmental developmental objectives. That was all good and well until he was asked about the position of somebody who is uh, an elder in in the ANC, Barbara Hogan, who has questioned those mechanisms. That's precisely what I'm saying. Mm. The essence of the policy itself, it's well-intentioned. But it's the process and the practice, how it's practically implemented that raises questions. Has Ramaphosa highlighted the need to develop a regulatory architecture around that. He is well aware that the, the, the process or the policy itself is open to abuse. I think that was a very tacit acknowledgement from the ANC to say, look, we still want this policy. However, we do agree that it's open to abuse. You'd remember, I think, about a year or so ago, uh, the president made public statements on merited cater uh, deployment. The ANC has been aware that Cater deployment has been misused by the party, uh, but they do not want to let go of that policy, but rather they're seeking ways to improve the implementation process of that exit policy. Let's take a quick break. I see your calls. I see your voice notes coming through. We've got to go to the headlines. Let's just do that now with Utsi Lesaku at 1.30. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. Good afternoon, Pamela. No, definitely Cyril didn't know about it. But however, you must remember one thing about ANC politics. It's so easy to get uh, kicked out. They've just got a top six. Four people don't like you out. And he was uh, thrown in the deep end with a lot of lot of thieving, uh, thieving officials. So he slowly, slowly had to root it out. He's had his game plan the whole way. He set up the Zondo Commission. Had he opened his mouth at the time, he wouldn't have had a job. So you have to play the long game. It's like being the assistant manager when the manager's not doing his job. You've got to wait your time. You don't wait your time, you get fired. So he's played the game perfectly. Perfectly. Well done, Cyril. Brad Marisburg. Uh, good day, Ospamelo. I think Cyril Ramaphosa's role here as he is testifying is to whitewash the ANC of all responsibilities and blame and trying to separate the ANC from the people who are looting the state. But it is impossible because my submission is that whoever has managed to capture the ANC eventually captured the state. You cannot have it in reverse order in that one captures the state and then captures the ANC. The ANC had to be captured first in order for people like Melusi Gigaba to be captured. So I think he is fighting. It's a futile exercise what he is doing in the minds of thinking South Africans. The ANC is tainted and cannot be clean or cannot be cleansed unless it cleanses itself of itself. Good day. This is Asanda from Matlosana. Thank you. Matlala Asitaluhile is our political analyst who's with us this afternoon as we analyze what we saw earlier on from the State Commission, a State Capture Commission, with the president being there as the president of the ANC to give his side of the story. Um, Matlala, your take on what you've been hearing from the voice notes? Uh, Pamela, I think I'll start with the first one where the last voice note where it suggests that the ANC. For, for the state to be captured, mm-hmm. the ANC has to be captured mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's elements of, of, of truth in that. Uh, but I would like to point out that, remember, in as much as the Guptas were very successful 
in capturing some individuals within the ANC. Some were approached and rejected those, you know, uh, those those proposals put forward by the by, by the Gupta brothers. So in essence, in as much as corruption is a widespread challenge within the ANC, I would not necessarily say the ANC in its totality or members of the ANC in totality are a problem and are corrupt. And I think one important aspect that we should take note of is that the appearance of the president at the Zondo Commission today as the president of the ANC is the commission's attempt to establish, to say, under processes and policies within the governing party, the source of this malfeasance we see within the public service. Maybe it is the policies, the processes that you employ at party level that create this conducive environment for impropriety in the public service. Remember, ultimately, fraud corruption, what the State Capture Commission is, is, is investigating, are anchored in, in, in impropriety. And things such as the cater deployment, I would understand why it would come under fire. It's because ultimately, it is these very people, the caters that are appointed into senior positions, whether within government departments or state-owned entities, that facilitate the corruption that happens, the fraud corruption and the siphoning of funds within the public service and public organization and institutions. Uh, that we see and is very rife currently. Do, do you, what do you make of the statement that came from Brett, who said, well, he was playing the long game. He must have known, but he, he was playing the long game. And and I guess playing to the question um, that you're raising around, yes, there may have been people in the ANC who were aware and rejected to be captured, but were there enough and were they powerful enough to stop the looting of state funds? Uh, I think there were never enough or many, many people in terms of numbers mm-hmm. stopped the looting when it happened at the time. I think the results of Nazarek uh, 2017 would attest to such that even when Cyril Ramaphosa had matched victorious at the conference, it was by no means by an overwhelming majority or any majority of any source to start with. Uh, he knew very well. Uh, I mean, he can't claim ignorance, uh, ignorance on this one. To say that he wasn't aware. I mean, even outsiders, people who are outside of government and ordinary citizens, could tell that there's malfeasance within the public service. Now, a senior government official, because I remember, even when he was the deputy president of the SRC, pardon me, of the ANC, yes, rather, yeah. he was still the deputy president of the country. Mm. If ordinary citizens like you and I can see the malfeasance, or at least you know, characteristics of malfeasance within the public service. I mean, we read the stories week in, week out on alleged corruption. Uh, we see the weak, uh, the weaknesses that, you know, present themselves in, in the public service. We've seen questionable appointments. You would remember Sean Abrams, Menzi Similani. The list is long. It's quite long. He, he can never claim that he was not aware of such. So I would tend to agree with Brett uh, to an extent to say that he was aware of it, but he hung around long enough for him to be able to contest the leadership within the African National Congress. So he played the long game, but uh, with that said, he still had the responsibility to act at the time. Ramaphosa must never you know, walk away scot-free on this one. 
in as much as he knew what was happening, he was playing the long game. Essentially, he put his personal aspiration before that of mm-hmm. the nation, of society, and the mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. And I think for that, he must be held accountable. VJ in Port uh, Shepston. Hi, VJ. Hello. Hi, welcome to the show. Go ahead. I think your guest made a bit of a fraudulent slip there by referring to President as a as the head of the SRC because I think a lot. No, of no, he did correct himself afterwards. No, no. I said he made <laughs> yes, a bit of a yes, it was a fraud. <laughs> a lot of us uh, looking in at the activities of the ANC sometimes think they just. Uh, behaving like nursery school kids, but let's uh, discuss it for another day. But Donella, I, I just wanted to say, I, I just wanted to refer to an earlier caller, uh, I think just before the news break, mm-hmm. that spoke about the merits of uh, catered deployment. Mm-hmm. You know, and he spoke about what I regard as catered deployment in, in, on paper. Yes. And what we, what we have seen is certainly not catered deployment as he described it there in terms of trying to appoint, locate, uh, trying to uh, find and appoint the most capable uh, mm. person in terms of qualification, etc. Because there's, there's just been a report uh, re, um, uh, re, uh, in, in the public domain that's, that's, that's pointed out to nearly 3,500 senior government officials from director level and higher yeah. who, are un, who are unqualified yes. for their posts. Yes. So quite it's clearly the ANC hasn't been walking the talk and, uh, you know, it's, it's all been window dressing up to now. So I think that that point needs to be made. Thank you, Pamela. Well, Vijay, what did you make of the fact that the president was saying, well, you know, we, we cannot be responsible for all of them. We we only look at a few um, cadres, but we, you know, we're not certainly involved in every single um, person that gets employed. No, I accept that, Pamela, but I, the, the report I'm referring to was specific mm. to senior government mm. officials across the three spheres of government. Yeah. And, so, and that is my interpretation, yeah. excuse me very low, from the president's explanations, yeah. clearly the area yeah. in which they practice and they aim yeah. to practice state deployment. Yeah, and, and he did specify that specifically with DGs, they get quite involved. And so you're absolutely right there, Vijay. Thanks very much for that. Thank you, um, Matala? Uh, Pamela, I think I would like to highlight on the issue of, you know, what uh, the last caller just referred to, about 35% of senior managers within the public service not having the necessary qualifications, skills, and competencies. I think the ANC cannot distance itself from that phenomenon. Ultimately, it's the ANC that is the governing party, and this governing party, to an extent, has control uh, on uh, over state machinery as Advocate Pistorius earlier referred to it as the levers of power. Uh, the ANC as a governing party has a responsibility to ensure that we have a well-functioning state with internal controls in place. And most importantly, the failure of the governing party or the administration, which is still the ANC, you know, since uh, 1994, has failed to implement consequence management within the public service. Uh, this phenomena of hiring people that are not qualified or competent enough in certain senior roles is not a new thing. The ANC government has failed to deal with it decisively from the beginning of time. But remember, uh, this phenomenon has its roots. I think it's in the 1995 white paper of transition in the public service where the ANC, you know, wanted to transform the public service so that the public service can represent the democracy.
demographics of the country properly. It was caught up in ultimately bringing people into the public service that at that time they did not necessarily have the skills, the qualifications, and the competencies to occupy those roles that were assigned to them. So this thing was embedded from then. It's a 20-year phenomenon, if you were to go back to 1995. I think getting rid of that, you know, the culture that has been embedded of getting people who are not necessarily the best suitable candidates for roles, it's going to take a bit of time to reverse, seeing that it's been going on for over two decades now. And... Yeah. Sorry, ahead. sorry, Matlala, go ahead. I just wanted to introduce a caller, but I, I didn't realize you hadn't finished your point. Go ahead. No, I'm saying that to reverse that culture mm-hmm. is going to take some uh, some, some, some doing. Mm-hmm. And it's necessary, especially where our public service is failing. We need to reverse that culture uh, promptly. Thank Let's you. go to Vusi in Midrand. Thanks for your patience. Vusi, good afternoon. Yes, afternoon. How are you, ma'am? Good, good. Thanks for calling. Quickly, uh, let's start here. <laughs> Zondo, Zondo, Deputy, uh, the Deputy Chief Justice Zondo mm-hmm. himself is a product of KDA deployment. Let's start there. <laughs> so KDA deployment <laughs> is a good ANC policy position. The ANC policy, the ANC policy position was to quickly try to resolve the issue of the imbalances of the past injustices. But what I find it very paradoxical and to some degree very embarrassing is when Ramaphosa wants to claim that by him appointing the likes of uh, the Raider in ESCO, that was uh, an ANC police. That's not an ANC police. That is a policy from the Rupert, from the Stellenbosch. Ramaphosa himself, to what the ANC has done in the past 10 or, or so years, Ramaphosa is reversing. Because look how in which the black executives have been uh, flushed in day and, day and night from the SOE to change, only to change them with their white faces, white who are incompetent. So when you were claiming that uh, they were deploying people who were competent, they in fact, he was disrespecting the commission himself. We'll see there in Madrid. Let's Thank go you. to some, thanks for see, uh, let's go to some voice notes. You know, it's said that Ndade Ramaphosa wants to come in now and paint himself as a saint, forgetting that he was also part and parcel of that state capture. He defended it. He was there. It's not that the guy wasn't there. Um, Yes, he spoke about a new dawn, but that new dawn is it's, it's just nothing, man. We all know that. Uh, he came in and he just wants now to sell this thing that is different. But the truth of the matter is a pig in lipstick is still a pig. It's not a cow. He is a product of the same ANC, the same cabal that enabled state capture. He's not different from the many of them. So he must just stop this thing he's trying to do to paint himself as this saint. It's Honorable Monareng in Kailicha. Hi, Pemelo. I just uh, realized hearing you guys talking about this, I don't think um, uh, 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 Cyril was quite so that he can stay 
longer. I think at that time he couldn't open his mouth because if you remember, state capture was happening at the same time where Busasa was happening. So uh, it's about you, he couldn't uh, say there's some malfeasance happening here because he was also getting something on the side. It was different people. Uh, for other fiction, it was uh, Guptas, but for him, it was the Busasa. So he couldn't report because he was. Uh, it was a uh, same situation happening simultaneously. Hmm. Matlala, let's move on to other things that were touched on. Um, fa- he was asked about factionalism and, and what creates factionalism. What did you make of res- his response? Look, I, I found his response not necessarily convincing because we know that uh, factionalism, as he said, is because many people within the ANC hold different perspectives on a number of issues. Uh, the ANC characterizes itself as a broad church, meaning there will be ideological clashes to start with within the ANC, even though even though it claims that it's sympathetic towards the left and the working class and all of that. It still has space for people with divergent ideological perspectives. But let's characterize the ANC for what it is in terms of factions. Uh, the ANC is ultimately a federation of factions. There's numerous groupings within the ANC. Currently, yes, we do know that there's those that align themselves with uh, the president. They call it the CR faction. There's those that align themselves with the secretary general and the, the guys or name of RET forces. But I can assure you, there's other multiple factions that exist within the ANC. Why is the ANC able to still continue to survive even though there's different groupings? The answer is very simple. Mm-hmm. Currently in the South African society or state, there's only one party that is capable of giving people access to state power, state machinery to advance their narrow interests, and that's the ANC. The fights and you know the disagreements mostly that exist within the ANC are all about posi- positioning different factions to be in poor positions to access the state machinery that comes with uh, taking control of the ANC itself. So ultimately, most of the uh, differences within the party are based on self-interest. Nothing more, nothing less. Let me take a quick break. I'll be back with your question, with more of your questions, your comments, as well as your WhatsApp notes. So keep calling in 011-714-2006. And you can continue to also send those voice notes on 0614-104-107. Pimelo Mudine on SAFM. All right. Thank you so much for staying with us. Matlala Sitlalukhili is our independent analyst, uh, political analyst on the line with us this afternoon. Uh, just unpacking what happened earlier on at the State Capture State Capture Commission, where the president, currently standing as the president of the ANC, is taking the stand. He'll be back at 2 o'clock. And so we take your questions and your comments and whatever it is that you've observed. Uh, 11714-2006. WhatsApp notes can come on 0614-1041. Is it realist in East London? Hi. Hi. Is is that your um, is that your real like name? I that did all it? the problems that seem to be bedeviling our country is caused by the public themselves. How? Because they are the ones that vote for the ANC and put them in the majority. Uh, you know, as the majority that become the ruling party, and they vote for the same year after year every election. Despite the ANC lying to them, robbing them, 
being, you know, full of corrupt officials. And so if they want to vote for them, they deserve what they get. Sounds to me like you think that there's there's another party that is better than the ANC? No, but people are stupid. They can't vote for other parties. They don't have to vote for the ANC. If they're not happy with the ANC, why vote for them and then go on demonstrations and damage property and damage the country's economy? by being stupid enough to vote for this party that promised him things, the same thing for 25 years and still haven't rectified any of it. I, I understand what you're saying. What I'm saying to you is that you, you clearly believe there is, is there, maybe let me ask it this way, is there another party that you feel is better equipped to be um, uh, the, the, the party at the realm of, of leading this country? Yes, I do think there's scope for a lot of the other people to do better. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, realists there in, in, in East London. And I asked that question, Matlala, because I, I've been hearing more and more that people at the moment are, are apathetic. You know, it's it's one thing to criticize the, 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 the governing party um, and another to simply say, well, you know, actually when we look around, it's very tough at the moment to choose a political party that speaks to, to, to our issues. Uh, Bebelo, I would very much like to disagree with the view that South Africans are apathetic, especially on political issues. I, 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 I do not subscribe to that view. Uh, the, look, the ANC wins elections, you know, every five years or so, not necessarily because it, it offers the, the greatest government. It's because we live in a democracy where many have concluded that it's a democracy of no alternatives in terms of opposition parties. The fact that the ANC continues to win elections is an indictment, a serious one, on opposition parties. That even when the ANC is at its weakest, Mm -hmm. uh, there's all these allegations of corruption, Mm -hmm. malfeasance, you know, weak state capacity. Mm -hmm. Opposition parties cannot rise to the occasion. This is an indictment on, 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 on... opposition parties more than the capabilities of the ANC. I think, and just to clarify something, to say that uh, the ANC has been in power for about 25, 6 years or so, and they have not changed anything of of, of, of the past, it would be false. Look, I think most South Africans, especially ordinary South Africans, you know, at ground level, grassroots level, are more concerned about the pace of transformation. There has been changes in the lives of of many South Africans. I think satisfaction studies about the quality of life are done over periodic terms, and most of them indicate that people acknowledge that there are certain changes that the ANC has brought. But the challenge is the pace of this change. And the corruption and the malfeasance, the weaknesses that exist within the public service, are the ones leading to this low pace of transformation. I think if you understand the framing of ANC policies and resolutions, they have acknowledged that, look, until we get rid of corruption, we improve state capacity. Many of our plans, our policies, will not materialize. This is something that they are aware that, look, let's get rid of the corruption, let's improve state capacity. And many of these things that we have promised the people will achieve. And to that effect, uh, government is involved in a lot of numerous, numerous, you know, programs to improve state capacity. 
Whether those programs will bear fruit or not is something else. But they are aware where the challenges lie. Let, let me go to El Chateau. I hope I, I've said it correctly in, in Midrand. Hi. Yes, ma'am. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Is it El Chateau? It's El Chateau, ma'am, yes. Okay, go ahead. Yes, ma'am. You know what I'm struggling to understand here? Go, mm-hmm. When everything happened during the state capture, at that time, President Zuma was president. And he had to account even before the end of his term. And forever he was invited to come and account, um, like, on his own, as, 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 as President Zuma himself, not as the president of the ANC or president of the country. Mm-hmm. And today, uh, it's amazing how it's, it's now different with Ramaphosa to say, no, he must account differently. I mean, tomorrow can Zuma now not write and say he also wants to come and account as president because he was president during everything when it happened. Why can't Ramaphosa today account on his own as well? Interesting question, Matlala. I think uh, El Chapo, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, El Chapo, yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think you missed the point. I think remember what brought us to the State Capture Commission. Yes. Uh, it was the State capture, uh, the state of Capture report by the then Public pro- uh, Protector, Advocate Tulima Dunsel. Yes, Look, the, the the basis of this commission was that President Zuma, who was the president of the country at the time, mm. had outsourced his constitutionally vested powers to a clique which happened to be a clique of brothers in, you know, AJ and, and, and the two brothers. So Zuma, when he appeared at the commission, he was appearing as the former head of, of, of state, not necessarily as an individual who has never held any any office or any authority of sorts. So he was appearing there as a person who was presiding over the state when all this malfeasance was taking place. So he was accounting as a former president. But I, again, if you remember, can't Ramaphosa then also account as the former deputy president? Because I believe the ANC does have a spokesperson for all that Ramaphosa was doing today. Ramaphosa will come and account uh, towards the end of May. Yes in his official state capacity. Yeah. He's still going to come as a, from his role as, 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 a, as a member of the government. Yeah. So now, got why are we stripping off the powers of the current spokesperson of the ANC? Why is the spokesperson not doing what Ramaphosa was doing? Nah, Ashato. I mean, you remember that um, uh, we also had other other members of the, the ANC also come uh, at, the, at the state commission. I mean, uh, Matala, maybe wrap it up quickly for us and maybe respond to that. Uh, to say that the spokesperson was covered, remember most of the time the spokesperson is not even uh, the, the part of the top officials of the ANC, yes. what they call the top six. Yes, he's not here. Yeah. Uh, so mostly senior individuals within the party, the officials. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the people who came from the ANC, they came, for instance, from Sabin Zizwani, he was a former minister, he was a former MEC. Gwete Mandashi yes, yeah. came, but mostly because of some of the implications through the Bosafa debacle, all of these people, when they come, they come because of the official capacity that uh, or the offices they served in back then. But uh, just to close it up, Pamelo, um, mm-hmm. ultimately, uh, cadre deployment to an extent is warranted from a developmental perspective. What the ANC needs to do, actually, is improve the processes and maybe to an extent Go with the suggestion, because the OECD actually 
does a lot of recommendations and studies on wide-ranging issues from government selection processes, appointment of boards and senior management and state-owned entities, on tax reform issues that many governments across the globe actually implement. So uh, to an extent, I would believe that there should be some sort of regulation that interfaces party processes within official government processes. I would even take it further to say, look, even in some opposition parties, there are processes akin to cater deployment. There's a selection process of source to say that we want the very best person to serve in, you know, or become a public representative. I think the DA does that and it announces that everyone is aware of the DA process on that matter. But the issue here is now, it should be based on merit more than on political allegiance. Matala, can I cut you there? Because I'm running late. I've got the news. I've got the president, I think, already sitting on his seat as well again. Um, We're going to have to ask you to come back, you know, because this is going to be quite a long journey. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Matala Stalukhile is a political analyst, independent political analyst, just uh, giving us his take there on what we saw uh, at happening at the State Capture Commission. It's two o'clock. Um, let's go to Utsila Saku for the latest in SABC before we go back to the State Commission.